Patty, I'm going to tell you something I haven't told my mother yet. I, I got a new tattoo. I just got it two days ago, so we're just starting the healing process. And I'm so happy with it, and I'm so excited about it. And I'm glad that I get to tell you. Here's what I want you to know about it. It's a cribbage board. Have you ever played cribbage, Patty? Yes. So then you know the shape of the board. And what I did is I just got the like, sort of like pegging shape um, from the board on my left bicep. And it's important to me, uh, every tattoo has a story. And when you get a tattoo, you also commit to telling the story a thousand times. And this one is a memorial tattoo. My grandma passed away just this last May. And my grandma grew up, my grandma was white, but she grew up on the res with its own story, which is very interesting and very long. And I'll tell you the punchline when she told it would always be that misery loves company. But um, she grew up on the res and your mom did as well, right, Patty? My mom did in the Fort Peck Indian Reservation in Montana. Uh, my grandma grew up on the Crow Reservation in Montana. Um, and uh, she ended up living her life near there in Custer, Montana. And I would spend every summer with her. And around seven or eight that summer, I learned how to play cribbage with her. Um, and so every morning we would have a routine, drink coffee, put the water on the garden, and then play cribbage. And that's just what we would do. Um, so I got this tattoo for her. And here's what I think of it. Um, I learned how to play at a young age. And you move your peg across 120 little peg holes. Um, and it wasn't until much later that I realized that there's this little rectangle of pegs that we never used. We played so much and we never used them. And I didn't even know what they were for. If you were to look at my arm, like if I was wearing a normal t-shirt, like it would be the one thing that you do see of my tattoo. It's just this rectangle um, at the bottom of the board. Turns out it's a way for you to keep track of who has won how many games. So it allows you to keep track of like overall who's doing better in the long term. Mm -hmm. And my grandma and I never used it because that wasn't what playing was for. It wasn't for like a long-term determination of like who's winning. We were playing just to play and have fun. And so it changed how I thought about the game and it changed what our purpose was that we never kept track. I mean, if someone got skunked, that was a big deal and we would make fun of them for sure. Like that, <laughs> yeah, you, that for sure was a thing that you would know, but I don't know, it just wasn't about winning. And so I think that because in our twig meeting last week, we were talking about argument and it seemed like teachers were having two conversations. One, how do we teach students to make the specific moves, the technical moves with evidence that they found? But also teachers were grappling with a much bigger question, which is like, how do we think about this task overall? And I connected to with my story of my grandma and the tattoo because in cribbage, like I'd learned the technical skills, but I was also learning this overarching philosophy we are not playing in a competitive way we are playing for fun and we are not keeping track of each other's wins and losses over a long term we're just in this together and we're playing together and so I just think about how 
it seems like teachers are at a point where they're doing that same sort of work, like figure out how do we teach argument in a way where our philosophies about what's true and how we think about evidence and how we think about our opponents, even the word opponents, do we use that word? Like those are all the sorts of questions that I see people thinking about when they're thinking about how they teach writing. Welcome, friends. So glad you chose to join our conversation today. I'm your host, Hattie Wiseman Adams, with our producer, Jody Braun, working his magic behind the scenes. And in today's TwigCast, I'm talking with Nicholas Darlington. He is at the airport, so if you hear any um, background noises or anything, just consider those gravy for today's conversation. Um, he's a fellow Twig member. And he is a high school teacher that works at Ridgeview High School in the Valley View School District in Idaho. Uh, Nick, I've loved your story about your tattoo and the cribbage board. And like I said, my, um, my own mom grew, uh, grew up on the reservation and I grew up watching her play cribbage. She too did not use the win or lose um, column it was all about just having fun with the game. But like you said, when you said about skunking, um, she would not let that go for a long oh, yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It, it was the conversation of the week if someone got skunked. That's so funny. <laughs> um, I really like how you tied in um, our question. And last week in Twig, we had... Um, we broke into two groups. We had a kind of a secondary focused group and we had an elementary focused group. And we talked about the question, how can we help student writers respond to others' ideas? Um, I know you and I, me being a middle grade, sixth grade teacher and you being in the high school, we were in separate groups. And I just thought it might be a fun way to kind of talk about those highlights about what we kind of noticed teachers, um, how they responded to that essential question with their, with their student writers um, responding to others' ideas. So in yeah. thinking about that, what did you notice in your group about the conversation? What were some of your, what was one of your major takeaways? I think a major takeaway for us was it, it was a line of thinking just about how we can help students to honor what is being said by others in the conversation, honor the sources that they read and their intentions, but also like teaching students that writing from sources and with sources is an act of creating your own work. And I think that some of us feel frustration when students like use sources, but never get to their own ideas. It's a piece of writing that is like void of the author's voice almost because students don't feel the space to create their own message. And so that was, a, that was a really important part of the conversation for me. It's just thinking about how students are being tasked with writing, but not taking the opportunity or invitation to create a message of their own. You know, in the elementary group, we had teachers from first grade all the way to eighth grade. Um, and at first I thought it was gonna be really difficult to tie this topic to those primary grades, 
But everything you're saying that you talked about, you know, that big takeaway of honoring sources intention and creating your own work is something that we talked about, but more, um, we talked about even first graders having conversations where they are able to kind of bring in, you know, evidence about why they make even a very general statement, but then how do they make that into their own idea? And we thought rather in order to write about it eventually, they need to have those conversations first. And so it's funny how we went to conversations first, but we were talking about the same thing your high schoolers are doing with the actual writing. Yeah, I remember comments in our in our group as well about how maybe a, a solution to our problem is just getting students further into the conversation that they are writing about. Um, and so it sounds like a, a good strategy that was agreed upon in both sets was just thinking about how uh, conversation and digging and building expertise for students is a key before we ask them to do the difficult writing of an argument. You know, that makes me um, think about how sometimes you and I have talked about this several times and, and I think in the middle grades, especially, we get stuck on having them quote things correctly and how to connect the evidence to the claim, but the claim doesn't ever change. Like we, we basically have students who they make a claim at the beginning before they really even know anything, but that claim doesn't change based on the evidence that they read. And I just, I can't help feeling like the revision process has to be part of, part of this. Like we have to give permission to the students to rethink their claims. Yeah, I'm thinking about phrasing that as like, uh, having dexterity, like, Ooh. Are, I feel like my students, once they find a claim, once they pick a position, they don't have the dexterity to reassess it, to check its validity and come to a different conclusion or a slightly more nuanced conclusion. Um, and so isn't it interesting that like we can teach the specific skills of how to use a quote and where the comma is gonna go, or if you're gonna use a period in a situation, but it's a much more important and difficult task to teach how are you going to review your claim to make sure it's still true to the best of your knowledge or that it's the best option. And so that's like a very different task that I don't, you know, it's just like not as easy to approach. It's easy to make the mechanical choice of I'm gonna teach you where the comma goes, but it's such a hard task to do like the higher level thinking of, you know, revising a claim for its validity according to your new set of knowledge. I would agree. I would say it's, it's really, um, I think when it comes to the word truth right now, you know, we, we have facts and I think it's really hard to even um, broach that subject sometimes with students that, how do you get enough information that it's not just the first three pieces of evidence that were on the Google site? Because like you said before, if you haven't really delved into the conversation enough, you're not even getting to 
you know, you're not seeing all the highlights, all the points. And so you're really at that surface level. And it's really hard to get to a truth when you're at the surface level. And, you know, I heard teachers express concerns about how when we do that kind of reading and research, it lends itself to, like, confirming our own biases. And so it, it allows and encourages students to look at the sources and the evidence they've collected and just make really um, snap judgments about that evidence. And I don't know, I, I've, I keep hearing teachers be concerned that the writing that their students do is not pushing their thinking. Instead, it's just reinforcing established thinking. Mm, and that's exactly where our essential question, um, why it was so tough this week. I mean, it was great, but it was some really heavy thinking about how do you get them to respond to others' ideas, but then to create their own work. And it makes me wonder, I hear you saying, like, it's how we, the teacher, approach argument. What did you notice in the approach that the teachers you were speaking with how are they approaching it in their classrooms? And, and is there any, any changing of the guard from what we initially started out as maybe a few years ago? Yeah, well, I think a consistent thing that I heard from teachers is they're doing more work to think about the approach and the philosophy um, as we write arguments rather than the small technical skills. There seems to like, over the last couple of years, I hear teachers of writing thinking more and more about how we teach students to think about um, sources, about truth, about quotes, about evidence. Like, and it, it doesn't seem to be a game anymore of proving that you're right. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was the initial vocabulary I heard from teachers of writing is like, how are we going to make sure our audience knows that we are right? Um, and it's, it's, it's stepped away from that. And I think that there's this question about how do we write responsibly? How do we write in a way that incorporates quotes in other people's perspectives while honoring them, but establishing our own? It's just like a much more responsible and aware approach and vocabulary that I'm hearing from teachers of writing right now. I'm hearing that same, those same type of conversations with primary and middle grade teachers as well. And I feel like, you know, we're really getting more in tuned with our purpose and the goal of writing. But even beyond that, I, I feel like there's a, you mentioned that shift and, and I just feel like it's, building you know it's like we're we're we maybe had to do that work as teachers initially I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with that that beginning where we were learning to use quotes we're connecting evidence I feel like we had to gain that uh, that knowledge as teachers on strategies on how to do that in order for us to get to this point where we're able to 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 say okay wait I need this to be nuanced because Somebody can tell you that you have to have nuanced arguments, but as a teacher and a student, it's like, how do I do that? <laughs> exactly. And I think that it's a very new type of, of thinking and learning. And I think that we would argue that uh, as 
educators build their understanding, like the students follow along that. Like, I, I would argue that it's a kind of learning and thinking that educators are figuring out and they're learning the vocabulary of, and then the students will follow in that. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. It, because, it really does. Because the, the teachers that I'm talking to, they're not coming from a place of expertise. They're not saying like, these are the strategies I've used. They're what I've always done. And they always work. We are sort of like at the forefront of this and figuring out um, what strategies do work and what does help students. So no one's coming from a place of expertise. Mm -hmm. um, they're coming from a place of inquiry and curiosity about how we can more responsibly do this work. Isn't it, isn't it kind of cool? We think about our group, Teaching Writers Inquiry Group, TWIG, and that inquiry stance, that's the game changer for, for me. But look at we're three years into this work that we've been thinking through and working together and just kind of practicing and it's still amazing to me that i'm learning and i i just feel like i have so many more strategies You know, Nick, I really, I can't help but feel like when you mentioned dexterity earlier in the conversation, something about that is resonating with me. And I just can't shake that feeling that that might be the key to building something new and true from the evidence. Our next session really is going to to be the next step, which is how can argument lead to action? And we will be meeting on November 30th. And as, as usual, I would really um, encourage our listeners, if you like the conversation and you want to be part of it, which we would love, please go to twig.fun, check out our materials, come visit with us, come be part of this thinking because we need you and we need your voice. Um, it's really exciting to kind of um, get some strategies and there's some really cool thinking going on and we would love to have all of you join us. Nick, it has been a, an honor and a privilege to speak with you today. Um, I Every time I talk to you, I always come away with a huge new understanding of something and more questions than answers and I, and I love it. Thank you so much, Patty. It's always a pleasure to laugh with you and share new big ideas. All right. Well, we will see you next week. All right. Take care. All right. Bye.